1944, Pablo Picasso said, one must have the courage of one's vocation and the courage to make a living from one's vocation. In this podcast, we talk to artists, authors, and entrepreneurs about the steps they took to find the very courage Picasso was talking about. This isn't another podcast of type A people talking to other type A people about how great it is to wake up at four o'clock in the morning. It's a podcast where I, in my radio voice, talk to relatively normal people about stuff that other relatively normal people might care about. I'm Dallas Browning, and you're listening to The Art of Vocation. Hello, my lovelies. My next guest has shot some of the world's top athletes, musicians, and brands. But he's not an assassin. He's a photographer. If you've ever thumbed through a snowboarding magazine, you've probably seen Nate Christensen's work. In this episode, we discuss the steps he took to craft a 20-year career built on capturing impossible moments of highly talented people. So let's get to it. All right. Hi, Nate. Hello, Dallas. <laughs> it's good to have you here. Thanks for coming. Yeah, it's good to be here. So, um, well, I've got a, I've got a number of questions. Um, you have been in photography for how many years now? I've been uh, a photographer full time for about 20 years now. And um, uh, looking back on on my life, though, I've always had a camera in my hands from an early age. Oh, really? Yeah. So, um, with with just like the little snappy. Yeah, just the little point and shoot. <laughs> uh, I I think I even have I have photos that I took um, from when I was like five years old. Mm-hmm. So from then on, I've been. Did you want to be a photographer? No. In <laughs> fact, um, I it was just a fun hobby mm-hmm. and. Uh, I was going to college for business for like marketing, advertising. That, that sounds right, right? You have your hobbies that you care about, and then real life, you should go into business. Exactly. <laughs> the <laughs> thought of being a photographer never even crossed my mind, really? not even slightly. Okay, so you went yeah. to school, you went to college yeah. in marketing and in business. Yes. Kind of like I did. Yeah. But then, but then what happened? Well, you graduated? I actually never graduated. Okay. And so, which is kind of an interesting story. Um, I we like stories was about three years in uh was doing well so it wasn't a wasn't an issue where I was performing poorly or anything like that but I was just uh just not into it I was uh yeah three years into college um and all I could think about was snowboarding and (laughs) uh yeah and so um I had some friends that were actually moving to Aspen. I was going to college in Colorado at the time. Okay. And I was up at Colorado State. And I had some friends who were moving to Aspen. And it was just kind of that period of time where I was like, I don't know what I want to do with my life. Um, you know, I'm three years into college and I'm like, I, you know, I'm working on these uh, on a major, but I really didn't know what I wanted to do within it. So um, I talked to my parents a little bit and uh, this is completely uh, not a normal response for parents, but they're like, Hey, take some time off. You can always go back. And so I took, uh, I finished up that semester. I moved to Aspen and, um, with the intention of focusing more on snowboarding 
and uh, I had also started submitting photos to uh, magazines, to snowboarding magazines, and they were starting to publish them. So, so the, where were you getting these photos? What, tell, so, it rewind a couple years. So we're we're talking twenty twenty years ago. So we're talking like the mid nineties. Mid nineties. Okay. Yeah. In fact, um, it was right around uh, 92, 93, 93, 94, somewhere in that ballpark that I actually uh, got my mom's camera from when she was in college. She sent it out to me, and I began shooting photos of some of my friends snowboarding to kind of help them with their sponsorships. And in turn, they would photograph me as well. And, uh, yeah, we decided to submit some of those photos to the magazines, to Snowboarder Magazine and Transworld Snowboarding Magazine, and... Uh, they ran a few photos, and still at the time, it was just, you know, it was just cool. It was fun. Yeah. It wasn't anything more than that. But um, uh, And this was film. This was film. Okay. Yeah. So you didn't even know if you had this shot. Yeah. Those days were, those days were interesting. I mean, a lot's changed, and that's a big <laughs> subject as well. But, um, yeah, we would, we would, I would shoot slides, and we would... Uh, go out and shoot, take, you know, a couple days to probably get them developed. Um, and then we'd hold them up just individually. We'd hold them up to the window and look at them. And in hindsight, you know, a lot were out of focus or whatever, but when you're just looking at a small side slide in a window, it, everything looked great. So, um, but yeah, we were like, we could, these are good. We could send these to the magazines. And so we didn't, um, they started running them. Snowboarder magazine actually called me and asked if, I could submit more to them. And that's when I was like, maybe I should think about actually buying my own camera as opposed to using my mom's camera, you know, like her college camera, which was a old screw mount lens wow. uh, camera. So yeah, it was a uh, 95, 1995. So you were out of school camera. at that point. I, well, or this was when, when I had my mom's camera, I was still going to college. Okay. And then when I moved to Aspen, I, uh, that's when I, uh, dropped in and picked up uh, uh, my my first SLR camera. So, yeah, and it was still it was still a hobby, but I realized I could make some money at it. So how were you making ends meet then when you were in Aspen? I would still I would go back to Michigan, which is where I grew up, and in the summers I would uh, just work. Um, well, I, you know I had a variety of jobs, but um, I worked third shift at a big uh, store there called Myers, and um, just because I think the third shift paid like an extra dollar an hour, so I did that, and I would work. Is the third shift like a night shift? Yeah, I'd go in at uh, I think about ten p.m. and I'd end at about eight a.m. But I'd usually work overtime as well, and so I just did that all summer, and I would save as much money as I could, and then that would enable me to go live the winter and snowboard and not have to worry about you know making money to pay the bills because i had the money saved so i did that i did a couple years on golf courses <laughs> how, how does and, how does that work i mean it sounds so good um in my mind um you know like oh yeah if i could go back and be in my 20s and you know work for a summer and stay really focused how <laughs> how do you how do you keep from spending all the money while you're while you're earning it when that's happening well I know I, this is I, a long time ago. Yeah. But. Well, a when you're working third shift, you don't your, have your a social lot of time to spend is, money. You know, right. you come home, you go to sleep, you wake up like early afternoon, and um, 
or mid-afternoon and you kind of just hang out I guess until you have to go to work again right. um, and I was also putting in like two or three hours a day of overtime so um yeah it's and, and to be honest with you all, like at the time all I cared about was snowboarding I was like passionate about it and so um knowing that I could make the money to then take the time off to snowboard that's that was my focus that drove you. yeah awesome yeah so then so so then you you bought a camera you start you start taking more photos or or how did how did this yeah so i bought a camera um continued to i guess uh uh develop the relationships i had then with the uh a couple of the snowboarding magazines out there and they just they really backed me you know they they started running a lot of my photos they would reach out to me um just you know I guess with uh, just to say how much they liked the photos that I was sending. So then that encourages you to go out and get more. And then I had a couple uh, lucky breaks in there as well, which uh, really helped my career a lot. Um, I had a friend that I uh, was snowboarding with a lot and his career took off as well as a snowboarder. So as I was shooting him, um, his career was taking off. So there was a lot of needs, both the magazines wanted to run photos of him as well as his sponsors wanted photos. And so I was able to, uh, we kind of fed off each other that Mm -hmm. way. Um, I think my first two years of shooting, probably at least 50% of the photos I had published were of him and probably the same. I bet at least 50% of his photos that he had run were taken by me. So um, so that really worked. I mean, all along the way, you can always look at, look back and see the, these like lucky breaks you have that are, are kind of turning points. So you're like, man, if, if that hadn't happened, I don't know if I'd be where I am today, right. you know? And so, yeah. but you also have to put yourself in position to take advantage of those lucky breaks when they come along. Exactly. That's something that I'm starting to see is that you, you take the, the bold risk that the sort of less safe path um you you're not exactly sure how it's going to work out and you step in with faith really yeah and and i mean there's i'm sure there's times where it doesn't work out for people uh, where the break doesn't show up or, or whatever but i mean you were following your passion essentially you which was it was funny because the passion was snowboarding it started out really as snowboarding right but you had this this skill i guess this this eye and uh and when went with it yeah i definitely had the eye and i understood the sport really well right um i didn't know all the technical uh, technically i wasn't i didn't know my way around a camera like as far as i mean just all the the technical aspects of you know right the camera and lighting and all that stuff so but yeah i I relied on like you didn't let that get in your way right that's an easy thing to say oh well you know, I need to understand the camera more. Maybe I should take some classes. I didn't care. Yeah, <laughs> it, it it wasn't even it wasn't even on my mind. All I cared about was being out, you know, around snowboarding and documenting it. And um, and you learn. You're continually learning. You know, twenty years in, you're still learning right. so much. Yeah. I I still feel like a rookie <laughs> at so, times. So so did um well, and you were also in snowboarding at a time when it was really. It, it, it was really growing as a sport 
right? It was finally reaching some acceptance and, and people were getting really excited about it. I mean, that was, that was a huge growth time for snowboarding. Yeah. Um, huge growth time. So I, I actually <laughs> so started you documented. It's like adolescence. Yeah. No, it's, it's been, it's been a, a trip looking back on it. Cause I started snowboarding in 1987. I actually started skateboarding in, I think 1984 um, and started snowboarding in 1987. And at the time, you could count the number of ski areas across the United States that actually allowed snowboarding. Mm-hmm. And then, um, and then as time went on, especially through the nineties, um, I'd say probably like, man, right around 1990, it really started to change like crazy. And then it went from counting the number of areas that didn't allow it to then, or sorry, uh, counting the number of areas that allowed it to then counting the number of areas that didn't allow it. And so, um, so I really got to be a part of the whole growth of the sport. I mean, it's been around for a long time, but as far as, uh, the real growth of it, yeah, it's, uh, I got to be a part of it even before I was a photographer in snowboarding. And then it was cool to really, um, be, you know, involved in it full time as a career for so many years and, and to really see, to see it change and grow. So did the, did the magazines, do they pay well? How does that work? No. In <laughs> fact, if they did, I'd probably be a millionaire right now because <laughs> I have had a lot of photos published. I've, I mean, thousands, literally thousands of photos published editorially. Um, but, uh, no, they didn't pay well. And so do they pay at all? Or? They pay. Yeah, they pay, they pay. Um, and their rates have gone up quite a bit from when I started. Uh, you know, I think if you got the cover of like the the top snowboarding magazine at the time, I think it paid about five hundred dollars. Okay. Um, in comparison, if you had a photo, um, like I mean, I had a, a two page spread in ESPN magazine, and that paid a thousand dollars. So, um, if you could just get a full page in a in a major publication, it was paying as much as a cover of a snowboarding magazine. Oh. So. Um, you know, and you were, I think when I started for a full page in snowboarder magazine, I think you'd get paid about, well, actually I don't remember, so I'm not going to say, but it wasn't much. (laughs) And, uh, and so, yeah, you, you had to get a lot of photos published in order to kind of like make ends meet the way you made money. And it's, I think still true today is, um, either selling photos to companies for their ads. And that's something that has gone up a lot as well. Like there wasn't a lot of money in that even um, when I was shooting like full-time in snowboarding. Are these the but sponsors? Or yeah. So, anybody that yeah, so like Burton snowboards, they'll, they'll, you know, they advertise in every magazine. So they will buy ads. They actually have photographers on staff, but companies like they, they've bought a few from me. Mm-hmm. And then, um, and then I would always, uh, every year I'd have contracts with companies. And so part of the contract would be to shoot X amount of days with their athletes. And then they would have first rights of the photos to use them, you know, in advertising. And then what was left over then was then sent over to the magazines. So that was the best way to make money, yeah. I guess, is, is to either have the contracts because that's kind of like a guaranteed like monthly retainer mm-hmm. or to... Um, submit your photos to the other companies that are out there 
and try to get them. And so the comp, it was always the, the, so you'd take the rider, each snowboarder you're shooting with had a variety of sponsors. Mm-hmm. And so you would then figure out their sponsors and approach them. And, you would approach them. Yeah. And you'd say, Hey, Burton, I'm, I've got these photos of this athlete of yours. Yes. You should, you should check me out. Yeah. Yeah. Do you want any of them? Um, sometimes the athletes uh, would put in a specific request to their sponsor saying, hey, I know Nate shot this trick. It's the first time I've ever done the trick or whatever it may be. And that's what I want for my ad mm-hmm. this year. So then, um, you know, the company will reach out to you or you'll reach out to the company and, and, uh, and they'll usually uh, end up purchasing it from you. And then, so how do you get those contracts set up? Do you suggest that? Or is that something they say, hey, you know, we like your stuff. We trust you at this point. We want to get you on retainer. Um, it was a little bit of both. I think uh, the first time, the first contract I ever got was with uh, Rosignal Snowboards. And um, they actually approached me about doing something. Uh, they, they were on a shoot in Utah and their photographer actually bailed on him. This is one of those lucky breaks I was talking about. So their photographer bailed on him because the weather wasn't good. And then just like that, <laughs> as soon as their photographer left, the weather changed. They were in a panic. Um, I wasn't even shooting full time at this time, but they reached out to me cause they had met me, um, the year prior and they're like, Hey, are you available to do, you know, a day or two, uh, shooting with us? And so I did, and it went really well. And, they invited me on a trip then later on. And then after that, they, uh, they liked my stuff enough where they're like, Hey, we want to put you on a retainer and actually have you shoot with our riders a lot. Wow. So, yeah. Sweet. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> so and, that was great. And do you have to do like when something like that happens, is there a lot of adjusting you have to do so that you can be available for that? Or were you already set up that you could take advantage of an opportunity like that? Yeah, at the time, it was pretty easy because I didn't have contracts with any companies. It was still going from, hey, I'm shooting this for fun and I can make a little extra money mm-hmm. to uh, that really helped um, put me in a position to make money and know I was going to be making money every month. So, you know, you do whatever you can to make sure you're available for them. Right. So, And it wasn't too hard. They're a great company. Um, I had, uh, my roommates all rode for K2 snowboards and, and so that was another company. So K2 was another company that, um, I had contracts with for a handful of years and, and, uh, would travel around quite a bit with them and their athletes. And yeah, I mean, it was easy. You're just, I mean, you're enjoying what you're doing. So yeah, it sounds awesome. Yeah. I, That's good. I just I just read this article about some fashion shoot back in 77 up in the Andes or something where, you know, photographer gets stranded with the models. And <clears throat> I mean, it doesn't sound like a horrible lifestyle. Right. Uh, <laughs> um, so so did did you. All right. So let's talk a little bit about, um, I mean, continuing on with your career. So there's there's this aspect that you start having some more regular business and then and and then what happens? I mean, how do you move forward? What what do you do to stay in the scene? Or, or how does a career advance from there? Yeah. Well, 
first and foremost, a lot of hard work. Like you're putting in a lot of hours. You know, Do you, you like know, it, are, is there, are you in control of your future? Like, do you know, hey, if I talk to these people or if I go to this party or if I hang out with these friends or if I do a lot of research online, I know this. Like, how do you know where your energy is best spent? Well, cultivating relationships, I think, is extremely important. So um, and it's it's even more important today than it was back then, because there is just a, a much larger, larger uh, I guess, a uh, group of photographers out there. Mm-hmm. And so... Everybody with a GoPro. Yeah. Or... Everyone knows someone who's a photographer. Yeah. Like, it, yeah, it's crazy. But, um, so, but it, it's more important now, but it was still important back then mm-hmm. to really kind of um, meet people, to uh, just spend time with them. Um, shooting with a variety of different snowboarders also helped because you shoot with them, then you have a reason to approach their sponsors, their companies. And, uh, yeah, I mean, as you build your name, you know, more photographers want to shoot with you. You know, they come through town, uh, like the snow's good in Utah. So they come into town to snowboard and they call you to shoot with them. And so, uh, yeah, it's just momentum, you know, and once it starts, once the, once it starts rolling, it's, it goes, but you also, I mean, you have to, you have to work hard. You know, they like they're they're long days, long days for sure, and a lot of a lot of work. But um, how do you know when you have the shot, or do you? Back in the film days, you just kind of you hoped you had it, and <laughs> you, and that was part of the the excitement of shooting film is uh, coming home from a day on the mountain, driving to drop off the photos to get developed you know, and still not knowing what you had. And then you get them, you rush home, you throw them on a light table. Mm. And I mean, that's, there is a lot of enjoyment to that whole process that you don't really have anymore. So now you kind of do slides. Why did you? Yeah. Um, I think, you know, well, it was the preferred, I think method for, um, for the magazines for submissions. I think partially because it's, uh, you can just take the, you, so slides are positives, you know, you have negatives, Mm -hmm. which when you look at a negative, it's kind of the inverse of what the image is going to look like. And so a slide is actually a positive. So you can hold that piece of film up once it's developed and you can see exactly what the image looks like where negative you can't. Mm -hmm. And so, um, so there's a benefit to actually having uh, these slides. You can just take them once they get developed and you can throw them right on a light table and you know exactly what the image is going to look like. Um, I think, uh, you know, there's a variety of slide films which uh, worked really well as far as, um, you know, like uh, saturation and contrast and and differences there. But... um. To be honest with you, I think it's just an ease of ease of use, hmm. as much as anything, because it's the same size. Yeah, you know, right? Because um, in my mind, I would have just thought you'd do prints or something, but yeah, but prints are great when when you want to like print and then go into the dark room. You want to do, you know, like your own editing, mm-hmm. um, like dodging and burning and printing. 
But um, with print film, you also get quite of a, a range. Like you could be off by, you could probably be off by a full stop shooting and still be able to work with the image where slides where you had to be spot on. Like if you were off by maybe two thirds of a stop, you may have ruined the image already, which, so you had to be much more on top of your settings um, than you do, than you did with print film and especially than you do now, like with digital, you can just, so how did, how did you adjust to digital? I mean, when when reluctantly, (laughs) yeah, no, I didn't want to switch, but um, it got to a point where uh, it was too easy for the magazines the, they used to spend, I don't even know how much, but uh, probably anywhere from 50 to to $100 every time they'd scan one of your slides in, you know, to run mm-hmm. in the magazine. And once digital came around, it just eliminated that whole cost. Um, it also became really easy for submissions. You could sub- submit your images without even bringing them in or ship- mailing them in. You could do it, you know, online. And so... Um, it just uh, workflow. It made things really easy. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I was pretty reluctant. I didn't want to make the switch and I was probably one of the later photographers to actually make the switch to digital. Um, I, 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 it's funny because there was a point in time when I think the magazines started saying, Hey, we're only going to accept digital submissions. And at that point in time, it was like, all right, (laughs) I'll make the switch. Um, how, how do you, do you learn to see the shot? I mean, is there a way to train your eye or is it something you're just born with? Somebody out there wants to start taking better pictures is there is there a way for them to start being able to see it because it's not just the camera i'm i'm guessing it's not just the camera no (laughs) um i think a lot of people have a natural eye so to speak um as far as like composition you know they just in their mind they envision what they want it looks good i think a lot of people don't have a harder time envisioning the final product before they shoot it. Um, so I, yeah, I do think people can have a natural eye that, um, really kind of benefits them. But, uh, also I think you can learn it. I I've seen a lot of photographers that, um, I shouldn't say a lot, but I've seen some photographers that were pretty bad, <laughs> <laughs> like, and it's all personal opinion. I get it, but, um, they were not, in my opinion, they were not good photographers and they've really gotten better over the years. And so it is something you can learn and you can get better at. Um, but then I do think some people just kind of have that natural ability, uh, more so than others. And, um, and also I think with, like, I've shot a lot of action sports and I've shot a lot of music. I think being able to anticipate what's going to happen before it happens is also a very important thing. Yeah. That's something like with snowboarding, right? Mm -hmm. You, because you were a snowboarder, you knew when the action was going to happen. You knew when the money shot would, would yeah. take. Yeah. I knew all the tricks. I knew exactly what the trick would look like at every point in time throughout the trick. <laughs> <laughs> so then it was just a matter of, uh, uh, you know, knowing which angle would make the trick look the best, as well as then taking into, you know, the, the background, the scenery, and trying to incorporate that 
as well as possible into the shot. So you've done a lot of music uh, photography as well. Yeah. How how did you get into that? Um, I met. I got into music photography. I would say in about 2001 or 2002, and I met um, through a through a friend. I met um, a guy, Nick Adler, who uh, his family actually opened the Roxy Theater on Sunset in Hollywood, and which is a very iconic music venue uh, in that area. And um, just through uh, talking with Nick, he, he started inviting me to uh, come down. I was living in Utah and come down to L.A. and pretty much shoot whenever. Uh, and so, you know, I tried to take advantage of that as much as I could. I used, you know, airline miles that I had accumulated from years of travel. And I would fly down there when there were it was primarily when there were shows that I wanted to see mm-hmm. bands I was interested in. And, uh, you know, I wasn't getting paid. But I just started shooting that. Um, it was fun for me, and and uh, and then uh, I guess uh, I figured at the very least it was a great, great photos for my portfolio. Um, but I think I also had a talent there as well. Mm-hmm. Once again, it goes back to I think being able to anticipate what's going to happen before it happens, mm-hmm. and um, and also framing things up, having a good eye for it. But. Um, yeah, I started shooting music for fun. And then over the years, it kind of, um, I think people started to take notice. And uh, I've been hired by a handful of music festivals to photograph those. And Where, where would they see your photos? Was it just on your portfolio? Or yeah, was it out you there? know, like, just like digital, <laughs> going from, you know, uh, film to digital and, and photography. I, I guess I'm not the, I'm always a little slow to adapt to changes in things uh, you know but um so social media is one of those things where i mean social media has always been fun but i've never really really used it as a tool to market myself Mm -hmm. and so that's something that i'll be probably well i currently am working on changing and um i did recently uh relaunch my website yeah looks really good yeah thanks christensen.com yeah Yeah, just natechristensen.com and um so, you know, obviously you can see a lot of my work there and I do have, you know, my Instagram, uh, which I, I don't even know. I think it's Nate, Nate underscore Christensen. <laughs> and then of course, you know, your Facebook pages and stuff like that. So, uh, I think in the next few months, you know, six months or so, I'm really going to try to, um, really dial in, uh, my social media and, you know, the message I want to send through that. Um, as well as just really showcasing a lot of great photography, both um, current and I'm sitting on a lot of awesome, you know, sports and music photos. Some pretty iconic moments in both, you know, motocross, snowboarding, as well as, you know, with uh, musicians. And so it'd be cool to be able to show people those. And so that through social media, that's probably the best way. Yeah. So where, where, what does the future look like for you then? Where, I mean, it, there's there's a lot of industries anymore, right? Lifestyle branding has just exploded, and and with that, you know, you've got a lot of you've got a lot of photographers, um, and and such. So so there's this aspect of oh, I, I can create this feeling, um, you know, 
Instagram has filters and I've got my angles with my phone. But, but there's there's a reason to hire a photographer. Maybe talk about why a brand should hire an experienced photographer and and what what kind of opportunities are are fit for you say in the future. Yeah. Um the, there are there's I mean everyone's everyone's a photographer on some okay. level nowadays. And, and and you know to to that like it is fun once you start taking photos and realize just how hard it is to get the lighting right, to get the focus right, to to get the angles somewhat interesting, right? It changes how you see the world. And so so it's a it's a great hobby for for people to have. But yeah. but we do have now now everybody has a camera in their pocket. So so it changes your industry. Yeah. Um, so anyway, continue. Yeah, no, it's it is a great hobby. I mean, that's how it started for me and if I wasn't doing it um professionally, I would be doing it as a hobby, absolutely. Um yeah, so I mean, everyone it's so easy to carry around devices that shoot photos, you know, where you used to have to you, know, you had to carry around a a device specifically <laughs> to shoot photos. And now it's a combination, you know, of your phone with a camera. And so, um, so yeah. And the need for photography is, uh, it's huge compared to what it used to be, you know, like a company used to, uh, you know, they, they would do a catalog once a year or they would run 12 ads a year. Um, so they didn't need a lot of photos. And now it's like, just to keep up, you know, they're, you know, just with social media, I mean, social media, you have your Instagram and Facebook, it reaches a, a larger population than print media ever did. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, but yet the, the turnaround time, like instead of having a magazine that would sit on a coffee table for a month and people would come by and flip through it. Now, all of a sudden people go to your social media page, they look at it once and then they expect the next time that they go there and it could be later that day, even they expect to see something new. <laughs> and so it, the, the demand for photography has increased considerably. And so, um, and not all of it needs to be like high end photography, mm -hmm. but, um, but it does need to be catered to, you know, a specific message or, you know, what you're trying to uh, convey with your, with your brand or your company. Um, I, I, you do get what you pay for though. And when, like when you shoot with an iPhone, as good of a photo as it may take, um, in comparison to what the camera phones took a few years ago, or even what digital cameras took a long time ago, um, the quality is still very subpar to a good, um, SLR camera. Mm -hmm. So, uh, so just as far as equipment alone goes, you know, you're going to get better images with, uh, you know, shooting a, a professional camera body. You'll have a better sensor, most likely. Um, there's just every time, and this is something that's changed from when you used to shoot film, you could have a camera body for 10 years. And if you, you have good lenses, you're going to get the same image quality as a photo you took 10 years ago. You may have different features like eye controlled focus, et cetera, stuff like that. But as far as like overall image quality, 
you could just run the same camera body for a long time. Now, every time they come out with a new camera body, um, there's often a new sensor in it, and that sensor will produce a better image mm -hmm. than the last camera body <laughs> and the old <laughs> sensor. So you're not only competing just on talent and whatnot, but you're actually competing on how quickly you can upgrade your equipment. Right. So that's um, something that has come around since digital. So going back to, um, you know, why hire a professional photographer? First off, you know, they have the top of the line equipment or close to it. Mm -hmm. So you're going to get some of the best quality images, um, you know, and, and if you're working, especially if you're printing off of it, um, you're going to want really high quality images. And, uh, you know, professional photographers also, they under, uh, you know, they should understand how to work with the client. They should be able to understand the client's needs um, and the best way to capture images to convey that. And uh, and that's something that you, A, takes time to learn and also is, I mean, it's a skill. And so, you know, just because you have a camera doesn't and can take a picture doesn't mean you're going to be able to take the best photo um, to match what the company needs. Mm. And so... Um, yeah, I mean, you really, I, I think it's important. You still see it with the big companies. They're, mm -hmm. they're willing to spend a lot of money on photography because they know the importance. Right. They want to get the best, uh, images, um, both with their content as well as the quality of the actual image. Uh, because it's, I mean, they're, it's their company, it's their brand that's on the line yeah. when it comes to that. And so, uh, going cheap in photography it, it kind of just reflects the company as a whole, right. you know, and, and, and you look at that and you're like, well, um, yeah, it's just, I don't know. It, it's not a good look for the company. I don't <laughs> think it helps sell their product. Right. And, um, so it, it's interesting, you know, I, I don't understand why, uh, well, I guess I do kind of understand. There's so many people with cameras and, that it's easy to be like, oh, well, so-and-so's brother has a camera and he'll shoot for free. So let's just use him because it'll save us money. But they don't realize that they're actually damaging their brand right. by doing that. And that's, so that's, that's one of the interesting things about creative work in general is that many times the person paying for it doesn't have the educated eye to understand the difference between professional quality and amateur quality. And so they think it doesn't matter. Right. Um, and the problem is that their clientele, their customers, even even almost on a subconscious level, can spot, can feel this difference between what was professionally set up and shot and edited and what what wasn't, um, you know, and, and there's it, it's hard because, <laughs> you, you know, some people, there are some some clients, some businesses that they realize, they understand. Look, I don't I don't know the craft, but I know there are professionals in it for a reason, and and that it's worth it. That every time we've done this, our ads perform better, our audience feels more engaged, they trust us as a legitimate brand, right? That it's just kind of like, what league are we playing in? Are we little league? Or are we, you know, professional? And and. Um, and there's there's something about your ability, your experience, or or you know any any of the professional photographers that have been in their industry for for a long time, you start seeing something, and uh, and so it's it's hard because 
budgets seem to keep getting cut. The need for right. photography keeps growing. Uh, and so there's this, there's this uh, temptation yep. to, to try to go cheap. Yeah. And, and so I think as a company, you need to really, um, I mean, you need to take it serious, you know, and yep. you need to because like I was saying, I mean, there's such a demand for photography now that you need to kind of uh, really understand what will work if you're, you know, like what, um, you know, if, if you, if, if uh, you're able to use like iPhone photos compared to, let's say, you know, like a DSLR images shot with a DSLR, but, um, cause you can still convey a good brand message, you know, with like Photoshop on an iPhone, mm -hmm. but you have to really, the content's really important. Um, but yeah, and, and I think, you know, as a professional photographer, I think you understand, um, I think it's part of your job to understand what the client needs and, uh, and to be able to convey that through your images. And so, um, yeah, but it's, uh, I do think that, um, yeah, they, they start to just look at dollars right. and they don't really think of how important it is right. you know to actually have that i mean it's like i don't even know like you could have a you could drink um you know you could pour yourself a glass of like i don't know kendall jackson chardonnay right and you're like oh okay that's good and then and then you and if you don't drink wine very often then you drink pour yourself like a chalk hill chardonnay and you're like oh that's good too and then you have the kendall jackson again right after that and you're like Oh, that's awful. That doesn't, yeah, you right. know, like it tastes right. like sugar water <laughs> right. or coffee is probably the same, you know, like you can have a good cup of co or a, you know, a cup of coffee and you're like, Oh yeah, it's coffee. It's great. And then you have a really good cup of coffee and you're like, Oh, it's coffee. It's great. But then you have the bad coffee or the <laughs> first coffee again. And you're like, Oh my gosh, that's horrible. Yeah. And, you, right. and so I think sometimes people, you can be blind to actually the quality of what's in front of you. And then, but, uh, you know, yes, and, until and you have something to compare, until it you with, have something to compare it right? with. So yep. let's say you have a company that's just grabbing photos, whatever, blah, blah, blah. They're using different photos. And then another company comes along. That's their competitor. And they're mm -hmm. actually they actually paid for their photography. <laughs> right. You know, and yeah. all of a sudden both those companies are in front of the consumer and the consumer is trying to choose which company to buy from. You know, now they have both right in front of them. They're going to go yeah. with the better, right? The, they the will. company that Just looks that like it's better quality, it looks like, like it's... it's a better experience. Right. You know, and so, um, if if there was only one company doing it out there, maybe they can get away with you know, mm -hmm. um, subpar right. images and branding and all that because there's nothing to compare it to. But once you once people are starting to compare you to other companies out there, you need to be. You need to offer a premium product. You need to offer premium photography. You know, everything that's, needs that's to be That's a great point. Quality. That's a good rule of so. thumb. If you if you want to know whether or not you should be using a professional photographer, just take a look at the competitors that you want to be exactly. competing against. And, yeah. and if you want to be perceived as better than them, then, then you need to use uh, a better photographer. Yeah. Plain and simple. Start there, right? Yeah. So much of a brand these days happens it's communicated through the photography it's that energy that visual energy that's 
That's great. So, um, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll wrap this up here soon, but I want to get a couple things from you. One, where do you go for inspiration? How do you keep things fresh? How do you, you know, um, stay connected, uh, with, with, you know, the opportunities, what, what are some of the things you do? Well, um, I guess for inspiration, you know, like I, I take inspiration from a lot of different things and, um, both just in travel alone, you know, and, and you're constantly like, um, I mean, visually you're bombarded by images and photographs and stories and just so much on a daily basis. Um, I definitely get a lot of inspiration through travel, uh, through meeting new people, through seeing what they do. Do you carry um, your camera with you often or, you know, I, not as much as I probably should. And it's honestly, it's, I've always been like that mm -hmm. through, you know, over 20 years doing this professionally. I've, it's some people like they don't go anywhere without their camera. I definitely am not one of those people. Um, and, and there's times when I'm like, oh, I wish I had my camera here with me. But at the same time, you know, there's – my life doesn't revolve around photography. Like, there's so many other things I enjoy doing. And there's a freedom to not having your camera too. Mm -hmm. So it's – um, you know, I – and then I guess, you know, like, if, if you need to, you can always just pull out your phone and snap <laughs> a photo. But, uh, but yeah, no, I mean – I have it with me quite a bit. If I'm traveling, then I almost always have it with me. Um, but if I'm like at home and I'm cruising around, I, it's, I don't always have it with me, but, um, yeah, just viewing other photographers works. Um, and, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, it's, I don't know. I just kind of take inspiration from everything, you know, like yeah. looking through magazines. I love magazines still. Um, I'd much rather hold a magazine and be able to flip through it than to, you know, look at a magazine online. Um, so yeah, just, uh, do you have any kind of a daily process? I don't. Do yeah. you, how do you prepare for a shoot? Well, um, preparing for a shoot actually takes quite a bit of time. It kind of depends on the client too. If it's someone I've worked with for a while, um, you know, maybe there's not as much preparation, but if it's a new client, you definitely want to take the time to really understand, um, th their brand, you know, and what, what they're like, the, the message that they're trying to convey. And so I think that helps a lot. You know, you want to see kind of the, the imagery they've already used. Um, sometimes they want to kind of follow the same style and then sometimes they want to completely change it up so you got to kind of know what what you know they're what they currently have and what they're interested in getting mm -hmm. you know if they want to change up their style completely you don't want to shoot what they already have you right. know or a similar style so um just really understanding the company or the brand is really important um and then of course just you know making sure your your all your equipment is is ready to go and and uh you know knowing timetables for deliverables and stuff like that so it's uh yeah i don't have like a checklist or anything like mm -hmm. that but um do you have any stories of when something was either just phenomenally incredible or horribly bad do you have 
any of these stories that off the top of your head like actually during shoots uh-huh. um i've had i mean i've had a pretty <laughs> i think i've had a pretty good career so far like i um you know i've only shot maybe you know like i'm not a wedding photographer who has these stories <laughs> of crazy brides you know and uh, I've shot a handful of weddings. I actually really enjoy shooting weddings. Hey, speaking of weddings, you're having one. I am having in one. In Iceland. In Iceland. Are, are you going to have a photographer there? I am going to um, put shoot, a couple cameras one. on tripods, and I'm going to wear a few GoPros on my <laughs> head as well as chest sure. and um, set up a, a variety of GoPros around. And so I figured i didn't need to actually yeah, hire a no, photographer you're the photographer i am the photographer you should be shooting your own so, wedding yeah she doesn't know this yet so um <laughs> okay hopefully this we'll make sure this doesn't yeah. go out till like next week while yeah, you're exactly you're there nice. no we're we're hiring a photographer for sure um and uh and i'm excited because iceland i've went once a year ago for my birthday and it was awesome and i'm excited to actually uh, get married there and i think the, the scenery is amazing so i think the photographers are going to do an awesome job that's great over there and i'm not wearing a gopro <laughs> so did yeah. you say photographers first yeah there's actually uh two it's a couple okay um uh hobie and haldora and um yeah no i i uh i'm excited that's great yeah they seem really down to earth and and i think they'll be fun to work with and and they're good photographers too. So Susie and I do photography too. I should have let you know that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, next, I'd say next, there's no next time. I've had a lot. I've had, anniversary. Yeah, I've had a lot of friends who are like, "Hey, you know, if you can get me over there, I'll shoot for free." And, and um, those are actually pretty nice uh, offers. But um, yeah, so uh, we were talking about stories, and then you stories. Got me that's off. right. Okay. Yeah. So I don't have any of the crazy, uh, crazy you know, wedding stories that I hear a lot of photographers have. Um, I would say, I mean, one of my best trips was, uh, down to Panama and Jamaica. I was working with, um, on a TV show called Nitro Circus, which was an MTV show. It was, it was, um, it it was, a, a more of a, like a production company, uh, before that where they'd make uh, i guess motocross films but um with an emphasis on i guess freestyle and just having fun (laughs) and so we went down to panama and jamaica and that was that was probably one of my most memorable uh shoots Mm -hmm. obviously because of the location (laughs) it was hard to beat but then just it was just an awesome crew of guys and it was just a lot of fun um but i have a lot of i mean so many stories and and uh you know, some great music, uh, some stories about, um, shooting music, like stuff with Christina Aguilera and, um, yeah. Anyways, I'll share those (laughs) at another time. But, um, uh, I, I, you know, I, yeah, there, there, I mean, there's been days when, you know, you're out shooting snowboarding and, and you've been hiking all day and, and, um, or working and you're sweating and, and I mean, we're in Finland, shooting once and it was 30 below oh. and the the entire time we were there and it's not like you have a choice you know you have <laughs> to go out and and we couldn't even get the snow to pack together we were shooting snowboarding we couldn't even get the snow to pack together 
So we had to go buy like some industrial like heater and try to melt the snow just enough so that we could kind of form like a little jump or a little takeoff with it. <laughs> we were kind of running around the city shooting, shooting uh, handrails. And, um, and, you know, usually the riders, the athletes stay warm because they're hiking or they're riding or whatever. And you're kind of standing there for hours and, uh, and quite often without gloves, you know, cause you're right. shooting and, and back when you were shooting film, you had to change the film every couple of, you know, times someone went. So, um, but that was a pretty miserable, <laughs> but you're still in Finland and you're still like doing what you love to do. So it's, I don't know. I haven't really had any of those awful, well, awful stories, but just, yeah, being out in the cold kind of got old sometimes. So, so, I mean, it sounds like a really, that it can be an exciting lifestyle, right? That, that you go all over the world, that you're taking pictures of cool events, that you're sort of with your buddies or you're with a cool brand or you're, you're working on stuff. I mean, what, what is your advice to somebody that thinks they would want to make a career out of photography? I feel very fortunate to have made a career out of photography. Um, I mean, it's, it's given me, I, like, I've traveled the world. I've met amazing people. Um, I've got a lot of good stories. And so, I mean, I feel very blessed to have had uh, this happen. You know, looking back, obviously, hard work. You just got to, I mean, you got to work hard. You get, it, it quickly became a lifestyle for me. And, and to this day, it still is. You don't, you don't, you don't become a photographer and work nine to five. And maybe there's probably a few cases where you do, but like you're committed to it. Cause for every, I mean, you're the time you spend editing generally exceeds the time you actually spend shooting, mm-hmm. you know? So you may shoot a day, you have a day of editing or, or whatever it may be. Um, you know, a lot of late, a lot of long hours, late, late nights. And, um, you know, just trying to meet like deadlines and client demands. But, um, so you gotta be willing to work hard. You gotta be aggressive, even more so now than ever. You gotta put yourself out there, uh, stay in front of companies, you know, continually talk to them, um, pitch ideas to them. Uh, but just, yeah, I mean, honestly, just working hard. And I think that's like with anything in life, Mm -hmm. you know, you gotta work hard. And, as I mentioned earlier, you know, I've had some lucky breaks that have happened and, but I kind of feel like those happen to everyone. So as long as you're like working hard and you're ready to take advantage of those when they come your way, mm-hmm. then, um, then yeah, I think, you know, things will work for you. But, um, yeah, I just, you don't want to be afraid. You don't feel like you're, uh, not good enough. I mean, that was one thing I, the, the very first photos I ever shot of snowboarding, I went to the top snowboarding magazine and said, do you want to run any of these? And then I took what they didn't want. And then I went to the, you know, like down the line, but I started at the top. And so, uh, and I, I remember talking to some people and they're like, I don't know, you know, they're, they're photographers and they're like, I'm not sure if I'm ready to submit to like the big magazines yet. And I'm like, I don't know. It it just seemed so odd to me. I'm like, well, that's who you should be submitting to, and then to get you know, hopefully they take some and then give (laughs) the rest to like the yeah down from there. Yeah. So, um, yeah, don't be afraid to to figure out exactly where you want to be and go after it quickly. You could take you know five baby steps to get to somewhere that could just take one quick big step to get to, and so. 
I like that. Um, you know, and, and and I guess there's benefits to taking things slow, maybe. I don't know. But uh, <laughs> but I feel like you'll get places quicker if you're more aggressive and, um, you know, and you just kind of go for it. Yeah. You know, but you have to be, you, you have to be, you have to understand that, you know, it doesn't mean it's going to be easy. Right. It's always going to be hard. It's always going to take a lot of work. You're always going to have to hustle. But you'll get, you know, to you'll get to where you want to be quicker by being aggressive and and confident. So, yeah. Great. Yeah. That I'm inspired. Yeah. Anything get, else? Any, anything else? <laughs> um, yeah. No. This is this has been fun. Um, yeah. Thanks for coming in, Nate. Absolutely. Thanks for your great work. I, I encourage everybody to to find. Uh, Nate Christensen with an O, Christensen, uh, dot com, and uh, find him on, on social media eventually. And I'll have links uh, in the in the blog um, so that you can find it all at artofvocation.com. Thanks again for coming on, and we'll talk to everybody soon.